This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 268. That's right, 268, not 278. Some of you out there may have realized that the podcast was labeled as 277 for a short brief time until it was brought to my attention because I made a mistake because I'm human. So, that being said, uh, this is 268, and I am joined by... This is Steph. This is Ian. We are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of February 17th through March 2nd. We have a total of two and a half books to cover and we have a little bit of news and we have some questions later on. So we're going to dive straight into the news and outside of some short updates, as far as last week in the back cave, which you can check out over on the site, there has been a really very little news that's come out recently. Um, official news. That is, I will say that there is, there's been, um, well, solicitations are out, which we'll talk about in a second, but, I want to address uh, a rumor that was out there. There was, I think we briefly talked about this on the last episode about the fact that DC could potentially be going down to 22. No, actually I know for a fact we, we talked about this because it led into my rant at the end of the last episode, but um, DC has since talked about the supposed 22 number count um, since we, 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 we had our last episode or we recorded our last episode. And basically the gist of it was they're not going down to 22. They just basically said they're cutting their line 10 to 15%, which is the equivalent of four to six books in, in most cases. And the four to six books have actually already been cut according to Dan DiDio and they are just producing slightly less. And part of it is to make room for the DC Inc. and the DC Zoom titles that are coming, as well as additional um, Vertigo titles and other other projects that are not necessarily part of the main superhero line of DC Comics. So nothing super concerning, although it is – I have to say well, this. Didn't he also mention that they're expanding the Walmart books from 12 pages to probably more pages? Yes. Uh, yeah, and that was going to be my next thing. The, the, the big thing that I think is interesting, though, if you're a longtime listener, you, you have probably heard me talk about or complained about the idea of 
them doing series and then not lasting very long. Like they do, they make it to 12 issues and then they kind of cancel them or they make it all the way to 15 or 18 and then they cancel them. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, why are we even bothering putting a, a main series out if it's not going to last? If you don't, if you have a doubt that it's going to last, why not just do mini series? And I went on this tirade for a long time about they should be doing more mini series and less hopeful ongoings because there's no reason to, to do that. Um, we're starting to see, we, we've seen in the Batman universe, as, as far as the stuff that we record and things like that, we've seen a lot more miniseries come out. Um, we saw a night, we just saw recently being conquest, which was a maxi series adventures of the super sons, which is a maxi series that's currently coming out. Old lady Harley just wrapped up. There's been plenty of Batman 66 crossover series over the last couple of years. There was Batman Kings of fear, um, obviously, you've got the black label with DC, uh, Batman Dam that's coming out. Um, but it's interesting because the whole idea of a miniseries is tell a self-contained story and then be able to collect it and have it as a collected, you know, full collected story. Not that I'm opposed to the idea of ongoing comics, but those are, you know, those are very specific and they're, they're they should be telling a, a long form story that is not going to necessarily be six or even 12 issues. What Tom King's doing is a perfect example of it. He's he has multiple story arcs that are being collected, in in uh, that that overall are telling a larger story. For the most part, Detective Comics was doing that when Tynan was on. Um, hopefully, Peter Tomasi will be doing something like that after uh, you know as he progresses on and is on the book for a longer period of time. There's also been. Just in general, there's been more miniseries, and I applaud them for doing that because it allows them to take a little bit of a risk. I mean, obviously, they're putting the book out there. Old Lady Harley was something that was just kind of out of left field. It's a futuristic Harley Quinn series where, well, what could the DC Universe be in this world that Harley Quinn imagines? Um, and it, it, quite honestly, like some of it was kind of interesting. It, it, the series wrapped up, and I thought it was not com- a complete waste of my time. Um I'm not obviously the, the the core audience when it comes to a Harley Quinn series in general, but I thought there were some interesting things because you get these like possibilities of what could be in, and you can obviously still have mini series that are still part of continuity too. We don't see that as often, but it's something you could definitely see if you wanted to. So I'm I'm glad that they're doing more mini series. If you look at the current slate of books they have now, there is a massive massive amount of stuff that it seems so outside of what they have been publishing for the last couple of years. There's a Freedom Fighters book. Well, obviously, there's all those uh, New Age DC of D- DC's Heroes books, but a lot of those are coming to an end. There's only, I think, Silencer and the Terrifics are the only ones that are still going to be going in the next couple of months because I think Damage is ending. Curse of Brimstone is ending. Those are the only ones that are left as of right now, but... There's there's all kinds of other ones. There's like a book called Electric Warriors. There's The Unexpected. There's The Freedom Fighters. There's a Martian Manhunter miniseries. There's a lot of stuff out there that is outside of what you would typically see DC putting out, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It just unfortunately means there's less Batman books, which obviously that's what we deal with here and that's what the site deals with. So there's a little bit less for us to do, less for us to cover. But I can see what they're trying to accomplish. So. And I honestly, and I've said before when we've talked about DC Inc. and DC Zoom, that that is a great initiative that they really do need to put a focus on because it potentially brings in a completely different new audience to comics and superheroes in general that could potentially, you know, raise 
the count of the number of issues that eventually get sold. If someone picks up a copy of, let's say, Mirror Tiebreaker, because I know that's one of the first ones that's releasing, and and they read it and they're like, oh, I want to, I want to see Mira and maybe Aquaman more. They'll go seek out that other stuff, not necessarily at a comic book shop, but they might look for a trade or something like that, and it helps the industry. So. I like initiatives like that. I'm glad that, that that's what they're doing. And, and the if the offset of doing those initiatives is producing less monthly books, then you know I'm I'm okay with that. I agree. I think that's a very good analysis. And then what Ian was saying was that one part of the other thing that they talked about was they uh, they they specifically brought up the Walmart books. And said that the Walmart books are going to no longer be exclusive to Walmart later on this year, but there will be they will be exclusive. They, they won't be exclusive to anywhere, so they could be selling them in Target as well as Walmart. And Walmart, even though it was an exclusive thing for the first twelve, it's very likely that after the first twelve come out, the books will be, you know, even more mass market than they currently are. They also said that they're going to up the page count of the original content within those giants from 12 to, they say like 20, I think. I can't remember exactly how many they said, but I know it's I it's not something like maybe even 40, which is a lot. Yeah. And then, but obviously the, the books would still include some reprinted stuff from past stories, but <laughs> maybe not as much. But they did say that they were focusing on that. They also said that the core stories that have been told. So for example, in Batman, we've got this Brian Michael Bendis Batman story that is intended to be collected. And we, we, we called this last summer when they said this, but it is intended to be collected as a full one, like a full giant in and of itself for comic shops after the exclusive part of the contract with Walmart is up. The other stories that have been appearing in like, the Justice League and the there was the Teen Titans one. Those stories are going to be collected in more of a trade form because there are multiple stories instead of having one large reprinted um, because they're, they're different creative teams, not all the same. But the point is, as expected, they will make their way to comic shops just in a larger collected form. Similar to what just happened. Well, it's not the exact same thing, but there was just a story, like a 100-page Superman spectacular or whatever that came out a couple weeks ago. Um, there was an unpublished story, but it was a huge story um, by Len Wein and – or not Len Wein. Why did I say that? Uh, Marv Wolfman, I believe. Um, and that story came out and was published as a giant, and it was a comic shop giant, and it was out of continuity or – Within continuity, if you want to try to pick and choose where it pl- you know where it plugs in, but it's not part of what's currently happening in the Superman books. So that's what you're going to expect to see if you haven't been picking up those Walmart books. I got to say again, I I like the idea of this. I, I said this last year that the idea of mass market comic books clearly it's working because Walmart order you know has more books than they previously did. They went from four to six within six months of this, this initially kicking off, which is a big deal. But then on top of that, their you know Target jumped on and did their own their own giant even, and that was all original stories in and of itself for the Primal Age Funko action figure line. So clearly it's working, and that's a good sign because it's got to get mass market. We you know we got to get back to the point where we see comics in 
grocery mm-hmm. stores, in other stores, in retail stores. And obviously the grocery stores isn't necessarily the, the, the biggest market in the world, but it just gets those books in places, especially where there's less and less comic shops all over the country. There's always going to be grocery stores and there's always going to be the targets and the Walmarts. So if they can get those books in more hands and get more people reading the stuff, goal, goal, uh, achieved. So, it's almost, it's interesting, isn't it? That to go forward, they're trying to go backwards almost like they're going back to the grocery stores. It to is. See yeah. About- yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is if you, if you look at like, there's, they don't actually have like actual sales numbers, but when you, you hear stories about how comics sold in like the sixties, they were like selling like hundreds of thousands of issues every single month of, of the books they were publishing because they were going to mm-hmm. so many places, not just little comic shops and that's not to, that's not to discredit the comic shops, but there's been a lot of comic shops that have obviously sprouted up over the past 20 years. And some of them have been super successful and some of them have closed up and new ones pop up and then more closed down. It's just, it's the nature of any sort of business whatsoever, but they're not selling nearly as many comics as they were in the sixties and the fifties. They're just not. So, I mean, the thing is they got to figure out a way. And like I said, last episode, if they're the ones who are going to try to figure out a way to do it, then by all means, then they got to, they got to take some risks and figure out it out because the alternative is we just don't get any comic books because they just don't, they can't have it as a Mm -hmm. thing to keep supporting in this day and age. When you see magazines, you know, closing up and, and no longer producing content or, you know, they can't make the adjustment to having more of like a news-based website, like entertainment weekly. I used to subscribe to that for years and years and years. I used to subscribe to a bunch of magazines and over the years, the magazines started closing down and entertainment weekly still coming out, but they're, they, they have a huge focus online of reporting news and things like that. That's not magazine based. And obviously they just run it on, the ads that they have on the website itself, but like it's, it's, that's, that's the way mm-hmm. everything is nowadays. You can go online and basically read everything for free. So, you know, if you can, if you can figure out a way to get your product and your content in the hands of somebody and that otherwise wouldn't be able to get it, then you're, you're succeeding. So, yeah. Well, actually there's a couple of hidden costs that, um, the 90s sales in supermarkets don't tell about. One is that there were fewer books. Um, and so the books that were selling were, were selling a lot of copies, but there were only, you know, instead of the 50 to 80 that the big two publish, it was more like 10 to 20 books. Um, the other thing is the books in supermarkets were returnable and return figures could be anywhere from 20 to 60 or 70%. So, the sales of shipped are often not compared to the sales returned. Um, I recently saw Comicron talking about how lower selling books are actually um, doing way better than the same ranked books. So like the number 300 book is selling more than the number 300 book like a decade mm-hmm. ago. And that's a significant change in terms of how comic stores and comic publishers make their money. And unfortunately, when a lower selling book makes more percentage of your income, it it has a lot of hidden costs in inventory and sorting and ordering, um, which makes it more stressful on the local business, although it doesn't necessarily stress out the publisher distributor as much. 
So these are hidden costs that we should remember when we're talking about the newsstands. To be clear, when I was talking about newsstands, I was talking about newsstands in the 50s and 60s, not the 90s. I know that comics, there was certain comics that were uh, newsstands in the 90s. But to be clear, looking at, and, and uh, Comic-Con only goes back to the mid-90s. They have some for 93, 94, 95 is the first year. Just looking at January by itself, DC was actually publishing way more comics than they're currently publishing. Um, I'm looking at at least 50, 60, and these are just single issues, not collected editions or anything like that. They produced way, way more comics than they are producing now. Um, but that's not to say that they were all in comics or they were all on newsstands. I know that for a fact. Uh, generally, the stuff that was on the newsstands was the stuff that was selling really, really high. Looking at DC's top sellers, which typically would be Batman, Batman in January 1995 was selling 110 thousand copies in the you know in the middle of the thing there was batman versus predator was selling 106 Azrael, my god oh Azrael was selling 106,000 um 104,000 in, in the month of january so i mean like imagine an Azrael comic selling 100,000 today yeah that never happened we'd be lucky if it sold over 20 so but anyway the point is this is this is the the way that the the business changes. And now I have to bring this up because I just I I just stumbled across this the other day. Um, there was a rumor out there that Marvel was going to be shutting down their publishing arm. Um, I thought this was hilarious because after everything we've we heard with DC and potentially slashing their books and kind of the internet kind of not blowing up about it, but like getting potentially upset about something that was not even confirmed. I thought this rumor was kind of ridiculous. And the idea rumor was spread by the same garbage website. It is. That, that is true. Um, uh, it was, it was the rumor was started by bleeding cool. The interesting thing about that is that the, the, the story goes that Joe Casada and CB Sabluski, I think his name is, um, which are the the head honchos over at Marvel Comics. They were going to be going to South by Southwest to do a panel, which they are in fact going there to do a panel, and it's talking about like from page to screen, talking about how you know the the comic book characters can go from the comic books to television screens and movie screens and things like that, video games, and how the industry has has been a good place to like have things start from comics and then morph into bigger productions like movies and television, things like that. That being said, the rumor was that the panel was happening because those two people from Marvel were going there to basically plead their case as to why Marvel as a comic book publishing company should in fact continue to do it, even if they aren't making that much money to begin with. And the funny thing about this rumor is that, while I didn't think it was true in the slightest, it is interesting that 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 this at least was theorized by somebody because the the idea of the publishing side of any of these companies, like DC Comics specifically, not DC Entertainment, but DC Comics, which is so far down on the ladder of the corporate entity that is now AT&T because now AT&T owns all of Warner Brothers and obviously DC Comics. Because of that, when you look at it, Disney is obviously a giant conglomerate that owns Marvel Comics and a bunch of other things too. But Marvel Comics is part of Marvel Entertainment, and it's just a small part of what the larger production 
company that is Marvel Entertainment does, just like DC Comics is the same way for DC Entertainment. Now, what's interesting about that, though, is the idea that a publishing company could go out of business but still have, still be producing entertainment is something that was kind of an interesting thought because that is entirely feasible in the future. Um, once once you get to the point where you can mine enough out, you have enough stuff to mine, uh, meaning you can you can produce movies for eternity and then you can get to the point where you start creating original stories for your movies and they're not based off of comics themselves. Do you really need to have it? I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to advocate getting rid of comics in general, but is that possible? Yeah. And out of all the places to see it happen, Marvel seems like the place that it could happen the most, that it would be the most likely to happen. Um, and I only say that because Marvel, the movie side of everything is so successful. They've got, multiple TV shows that are successful. They have video games. They have enough content where they get to the point where the people who are writing the comic stories, they just move into writing the television stories and the movie stories and things like that with the scripts and things like that. And would it make a difference? I don't know that Disney would be looking at it and saying they need to have comics coming out every month. So that's just a reality. I'd like to know our listeners thoughts on that. I mean, do you think that, that is a potential future where comics don't need to exist, but we're still getting plenty of other content involving these characters, but the comic books part of it is just non-existent. I think it's possible, especially considering how big the companies that own Marvel and DC are. Um, I, if one of the big two, goes out of business, I think that will kill pretty much every store because they're looking at losing, you know, between 20 and 40% of their um, inventory at one fell slew. And that means I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think that might be why DC is focusing so hard on the book market and the other stores because, just like a comic store has, you know, their Funko pops and their um, action figures and their uh, collectibles and gaming stuff so that they don't have all their eggs in one basket. I think DC doesn't want to have all its Mm -hmm. eggs in the comic basket. It's got its uh, mainstream like supermarket stuff. It's got its book market stuff and they sort of abandoned digital, but I think they should keep one foot in that water. To be clear, when you when when Ian says they abandoned digital, they're just not producing any uh, digital first series any longer, which they were for the longest time. They are still releasing the issues digitally, same date that they come out in print. But as far as like having any sort of like digital first initiative, I think the only series that's still digital first is like Teen Titans Go and the Scooby Doo Team Up series. I think is the only, or yeah, I think those are the only two. They're still digital first. And those are obviously driven more towards children, which is maybe where the digital side of things is headed. And that's why they're doing it is to make sure that there's that stuff exists for the younger audience that maybe is. And when I say younger, I mean like really, really younger audience specifically because maybe parents are looking at it as well. I'm getting this issue and I'm not paying nearly as much um, and my kid can get a new comic every couple weeks and then there's something for them to read. I don't know, but like it's odd that that is literally the only original content or 
I should say, digital first content that they're still producing on a normal basis. So, yeah, you don't publishing strange television spinoffs for a very young market is not the sign of this is where the company is putting their focus, which is sort of what I meant. Yeah, they're definitely still got their digital storefront up and they're still releasing all these things. But back about 10 years ago, they had all these really big name writers and artists doing digital exclusives or digital first stuff. And that to me signaled that they thought digital was important. They don't, they clearly don't think digital is important anymore. Do we know or have any numbers on um, the DC was the DC universe, the streaming service? Like how's no, no, they, they don't unfortunately yeah. release any of that unless a uh, half the investor requests that information during an investor call for Warner Brothers or well, I guess at this point AT and T, which I feel like that's so far down on the list of things or topics that anybody's going to actually ask somebody of importance that mm-hmm. we're never going to know. So I mean, to be clear, we also notoriously never knew anything about DC digital numbers and we still don't to this day as far as i mean you can go to comiXology and they give you the top 10 of like what's is selling really well that specific week you can kind of finagle remember jessica at one point was looking at um comic sales numbers of the digital books but there's no firm number you can just base it off of what's what they say is the top selling book of the week and hypothetically knowing that batman sells x amount of books you can kind of try to put a number on it but it's not you know, it's not precise and you have no clue what it actually is. So until they either go out of business or yeah, exactly. And and the thing is ultimately it just comes down to whether or not it's doing well, isn't necessarily what they care about. It's, is it outperforming to make it worth the effort to do it? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. So, but yeah, so anyway, Outside of that, there is only really the news of the week, which was the solicitations had released. Surprisingly, there's a couple of things that I don't think some of us were expecting, but there is May happens to be a five week or five Wednesday month. So we do have some annuals, the annuals that uh, we will be seeing as far as what we cover on the website. Detective Comics will be getting an annual, Catwoman will be getting an annual. And those are the only two that we're actually going to be covering over on the site. But those are two. Uh, Catwoman getting an annual. I don't know if that's really necessarily needed. But then again, some of these other lower selling books. And Catwoman's obviously not low selling. It's actually outperforming the rest of the Bat Family books at this point. But um, the other things of note is that Batman and the Outsiders has finally finally been resolicited and is coming out on May May eighth. Um, so that's finally coming after being delayed for, I guess, five months because it was originally supposed to come out in December. Um, so there, there's that. We also, as we talked about last episode, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the third series is releasing. Um, Batman Damned, number three, is supposedly finally releasing in May. Um, we'll see if that actually holds true. We also have the kickoff of Batman Last Night on Earth, which is the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo story that we've been seemingly talking about for all over a year at this point. Um, That's coming, and it's going to be a three-issue miniseries. So that's coming. The the first issue is uh, coming out the end of May. No word exactly on the release of that, whether it's going to be every month or every other month like Batman Damned originally was. We'll have to wait and see what ends up coming of that. 
well, obviously, you know, as soon as June solicitations comes out. A um, couple of other things. We, we talked about DC's Year of the Villain, which is that that uh, $0.25 cent issue that comes out at the beginning of the month before Free Comic Book Day. That's coming. Um, Doomsday Clock number 11 is supposedly coming out in May, which hypothetically, if that stays true, we should be getting Doomsday Clock wrapping up in uh, July, although the rate they're going with the delays that they're already ha- they're already occurring <laughs> we'll be lucky if that actually happens heroes in christ and i say that because the issue doomsday clock number 9 which as you're listening to this just released this past wednesday that issue no, it's, it's next wednesday. what's that no it's next wednesday this coming oh i see what you're saying yeah um, doomsday clock which is which as you're listening to this is just came out this past Wednesday. Um, that issue was supposed to come out in January. It was delayed all the way up until March. And now the issue number 10, which was also supposed to be coming out in March, supposedly is still coming out at the end of March. That's not extremely likely to yeah, happen. So we'll see. Um, so the fact that they solicited 11 for May, we'll, we'll, we'll just wait and see. Um, other other things worth mentioning, Heroes in Crisis is wrapping up with their final issue at the end of May. Uh, Deathstroke was, it will be wrapping up the uh, Terminus agenda in, with the Teen Titans crossover. And then we also have uh, just a couple of other other things. There's going to be a DC Zoom title, Dear Justice League Trade Paperback, which we've mentioned before. That's releasing. Um, it's actually going to be releasing in July, but it's advanced solicited for May. Um, which means you order it earlier, but then it'll just come out later. And then Dog Days of Summer, which is the weird, well, partially to me it seems weird that it's coming out in May, but Dog Days of Summer is a summer holiday special holiday uh, giant type thing. Last year we had the DC Villain Summer Spectacular, whatever it was called, uh, that came out in July so that's that's basically the gist. I mean, like, quite honestly, uh, out of everything that was that, that's oh, and just with the normal books, Batman is kicking off the Fall and the Fallen. Uh, Mikel Jannon's back on art. Um, this is leading to presumably some big event that's going to happen, number seventy-five, which at this rate would be happening in the middle of July, conveniently happening right around Comic Con. So, um, yeah, that is the basic gist as far as interesting things that I noticed last last night on earth, there was absolutely no buildup or like announcement that this book was happening. It just kind of like, here it is, it's happening. Here's the solicit. But like, there wasn't any sort of like art released hyping the series. And I know that they have art because Greg Capullo has been teasing stuff for quite some time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with that. Maybe they weren't, trying to overhype it because it is a $6 issue, um, but it is 56 pages. So it's larger than normal. So yeah, I mean, out out of the list of everything that's coming, there's not a whole lot of surprises, but there are some. So, and we do get, so, Oh, well, there one other one that I didn't mention, which I, I find slightly intriguing is a new mini series. That's coming out called deceased. De- I was wondering de- why you didn't mention that one. Yeah, deceased. I, I I looked at it and realized, oh yeah, I want to mention this, but then I didn't. <laughs> uh, deceased, which is written by Tom Taylor, it's a mini series, six issue mini series that is going to be technically out of continuity, and it's going to be some sort of horrible virus infects a massive amount of people on Earth, and 
basically the DCU has to deal with this giant virus that turns everybody into presumably some sort of demon zombie versions of themselves. Not everybody, but like 600 million people, I guess, out of the 6 billion. So 10% of the Earth's population becomes these zombie type people and the DC has to deal with it. The one cool thing I thought about this is that they're doing uh, not just one variant, but two variants. And the second variant is actually a horror movie variant cover. And the first one is, is uh, based off of it. It features the Joker handing, I, when I'm guessing, Jason Todd a uh, red balloon, which was pretty cool. So That was really creepy looking. Yeah. And it should be good because it's Tom Taylor, and, and I really was enjoying Injustice that he was writing, and I was wondering what he was going to do next. So that'll be cool. Creepy, but cool. All right. So with that, like I said, last week in the Batcave, there's there's two new, as you're listening to this, there's three. Um, but last week in the Batcave is over on the site on Monday mornings normally, so you can take a look at that. In addition to that, all any other news that comes out as it happens will be over on the site as well. But with that, we're going to dive straight into our comic book reviews and start off with Batman. Batman number 65, uh, The Price, part three, subtitled The Price of Vengeance, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Guillaume March, colors by Tomu Mori. Title card. What doesn't kill you? Ellipsis. Clara Clover, Gotham Girl, narrates her history. She imagines a scene where she rescued her family from the mugger in Crime Alley, but narrates that she wasn't even there that night. Batman saved her parents and brother, so she imagines her own origin stories. She feels her body breaking down as she uses her powers, but pushes through the pain. Batman and Flash fight the copies of Gotham and Gotham Girl holding nothing back as the copies were never truly alive. Flash carries Batman at super speed around the room, causing the zombies to follow, using up their powers and dying, just as Gotham himself did. Still furious at Batman, Flash runs away to save Central City from Gotham Girl, despite Batman's insistence that they must form a plan. In Central City, Iris looks for a photo of Wally to prepare to write his obituary. Gotham Girl bursts into the police station just as Flash arrives to stop her. He tries to bond with her by telling her of his grief for Wally, just like her grief for Hank, but what appears to be a reanimated Hank arrives to fight alongside Claire. As Batman rides the Batwing to join Flash, Hank throws Flash through buildings. Gotham grabs Flash, saying that his powers extend to super speed. However, Hank begins to melt, to Claire's horror, as she said that He promised Hank's powers wouldn't kill him this time. Hank dies again, saying he was happy where he was before. Batman arrives just as Claire attacks Flash in grief and rage at her brother's second death. He tries to persuade her not to take more of the serum after what it did to Hank, but she injects herself at the neck and begins to glow with an overwhelming light. And just like last episode where we, because obviously this is the Batman and Flash crossover, we're also going to cover the synopsis for the Flash number 65 as well. So let's dive into that. Flash number 65, The Price, Part 4, Conclusion, subtitled The Price of Loyalty, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Rafa Sandoval, inks by um, Tarragona, and colors by Tomu Mori. The title card reads, At What Cost Ellipsis? 
As Flash narrates his memory of discovering Wally's death in Heroes in Crisis, in the present, Flash and Batman struggle to save Central City's residents from a supercharged Gotham Girl's heat vision. The two heroes struggle to reason with Claire, trying to convince her that her rage is causing her to betray her own values and her powers are killing her. She responds that without her powers, she is nothing, before collapsing, vomiting gray-green liquid as a reaction to the super-venom drug that boosted her powers. Batman and Flash desperately perform CPR on Claire, with Barry flashing back to Wally's life and death, especially his death. Losing his temper, he uses his super speed in compressing Gotham Girl's chest, starting her heart again. However, expelling the venom seems to have erased her memories of what she's done for the past several days, as well as stopped her rage. Iris West crawls over the rubble and gives both heroes, but particularly Batman, a piece of her mind, ending with a resounding slap to Batman's face. In the Batcave, they put Claire in suspended animation to help her heal and prevent her from killing herself with her powers. Barry and Bruce agonize about the price heroism brings to their lives, costing their allies pain, relationships, and far too often, their lives. Batman pushes a little too far, throwing the fact that Flash forgot Wally for years during the New 52 in his face, and Barry pushes his speed faster than all of Batman's countermeasures can follow, ending with a fully powered punch hovering just a centimeter from Batman's nose. He refuses to unleash on Batman, saying, I'm not you, and leaves. Iris leaves Barry a letter containing her obituary for Wally. She also says goodbye, unwilling for now to pay the price of loving a superhero, leaving Flash, like Batman, alone. So, the issue of Batman this week doesn't have a lot of questions related to it by itself, because it was mostly just a big fight scene between Batman, Flash, and Gotham Girl. Um, so I, my discussion questions are more about the crossover as a whole, sort of as a follow-up to what we talked about last episode. So last episode, we discussed how we thought this could end. And, um, one possibility was that Gotham girl would die, uh, wrapping up her story. And we thought that would be disappointing, but, um, it would mean that this event actually meant something. I thought that it was more likely that, this event would not actually kill Gotham girl, but would leave her more or less in the same place that she was at the beginning of the event. Um, she is in stasis at the end of this event. So she's basically off the table again. Um, no questions were answered. We didn't like, we already know that Bane is behind everything. And so seeing the hulking figure with the super venom behind Gotham girl sort of hints that he's behind her powers, but, Batman and Flash don't learn that. Um, I think this event did do something for the Flash title because Iris leaves Barry and now he's all sad. But for Batman, nothing changes. So how do you feel about the price, especially compared to the button? Well, I think it was a giant waste of time. Uh, that's, I mean, obviously that's me being honest. The thing is, I feel like I'll I'll say this when I going into the button, I'll say the difference between this and the button is going into the button. I expected some sort of like big, huge story reveal hinting at the potential of, you know, the Watchmen's connection into the DC universe, something 
but nothing came out of that. I was more ex- I was expecting way way more in that crossover than than this one. This one I had no idea what to expect. I feel like the original solicitation, which was they were solving some sort of um, cold case. Obviously, the solicitation was not the same as what it ended up being because it turned into something having to do with Gotham Girl, um, which was not hinted in any way in the original solicitation and them talking about how there was going to be a crossover between Flash and and Batman. So the fact that they said that the original solicitation was we're going to see Batman and, and Flash teaming up to solve a cold case that the Justice League has been able unable been unable to solve. Then you know, like I didn't expect much. I'll be honest, I didn't expect very much at all from this. When the first issue came, and then we get to reveal that it's telling a story revolving you know involving uh, Gotham Girl again, it it was just kind of like okay, well maybe we'll start to get some of these answers that we've been asking about Gotham girl for almost 50 issues because it's been such a long time since she's popped up. And even when she has, they're not really addressing a lot of the issues and concerns that people brought up when she was, when she was around in the first place. So to be honest, I can't say I was let down by this because it didn't have really super high expectations in the first place because it didn't really think it was going to be anything that big. Ultimately, after the first issue came and we saw Gotham Girl in it, it was a letdown because it literally just goes, it just was, it just was meaningless, just like the button crossover was. The button crossover was just kind of like, looking back on that story, the only thing that that has done that has progressed or been a, a point that's been popped, that's popped back up is the introduction of Flashpoint Batman into normal continuity after the new 52 and after flashpoint it it basically establishes the character as existing again even though those of us who've been around long enough know that that was the case and there's there was a obvious reason why we weren't seeing him because he was in a different universe um that being said the only thing it did was introduce him and then conveniently flashpoint batman is is now part of whatever tom king's long-term plan is but this story <sighs> You know, Ian Ian mentioned that it puts Gotham Girl right back where she was. I don't think it necessarily puts her right back, but I mean, she's in a position where I think she's right back to where she was prior to Batman number fifty, because the only difference is before before all of this before she popped up in Batman fifty, sitting alongside Bane, and us questioning why in the heck is she there. This kind of answers the question as to why she's there or why she was there in Batman number 50 alongside Bane. But because it wraps up so quickly in these these couple issues and the stories, to be honest, even with four issues, this feels like really, really light on achieving anything whatsoever other than just answering the question of why was she there in number 50. Um, it just it, it's just like whatever. Who cares? She goes, she's in, she's in this stasis and now she's off the table and that, that resolves that, but it still doesn't really explain all the questions that we were asking before she popped up in number 50 that were never answered. So it's like, are we ever going to get back to this character? I'm guessing because she's not dead, maybe it's possible or it's possible that she'll become like so many other characters that have popped up as brief plot points and then completely ignored afterwards. So I don't know. Long-winded answer, 
to basically say, uh, not disappointed, but wasted my time. Yeah. If there's one good thing to be said, it's that it was good that it was a crossover so that at least we didn't have to read this for two months. We just had to read this for one month. <laughs> um, yeah. I just feel like it had so much potential. We could have gotten Claire's backstory. Like, has she been in cahoots with Bane from the beginning? That's who she originally got her powers from. We don't know. It's sort of kind of hinted a little bit, but like they don't come out and say it. Um, they could have dealt with Barry's heart issues and his pain and Batman's pain. Like it seemed like a lot of times they started talking about stuff and then, oh, now we're interrupted. We have to go somewhere. And ugh, Okay. <laughs> but like even if at the end nothing necessarily had changed, at least we would have gotten a whole lot more information. We would have gotten character development or at least insight to characters. But as it is, like, at least now we know where Claire is. She's in a giant tube in her costume for some reason, because they always have to have their costumes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I think it had a lot of potential and it just dropped all the balls. And then also, I don't think it was well-written. I've read over dramatic fan fiction that was slightly better than this. Cause everyone. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate Josh Williamson's writing, but it's, this did not feel like a good showcase no. of it. I feel like even with all the frustration of the button, I thought there were some good moments. Like a lot of people point to uh, the scene where um, Batman Bruce tells Thomas flashpoint Batman that he has a son in the Batman uh, part of the button. And I, I agree. I think that's a very powerful scene. That's Williamson writing at his best. This, I'd say the early stuff where Gotham girls really struggling with the death of her brother was well done. But these last two issues were just, it felt really paint by the numbers and because it didn't accomplish anything, at least for Batman. Again, if you're a flash fan, feel free to correct me in a comment or on discord, but it didn't feel like anything that was happening was meaningful or logical, like because, and, and this is going back to our critique or my critique last uh, episode. It feels like Williamson both did and didn't read what Tom King was doing with Batman. So he does a lot of actual direct quotes from Batman. Like he does up, up and away, which is a direct quote from what Claire says in Batman number 24. Yeah. And he talks about how um, Gotham girl, you know, wanted to be a hero because she loved her brother. But then he has Barry constantly berating Batman for being like, oh, man, Batman, how dare you control Gotham Girl's life? How dare you tell her she can't be your hero? When Batman explicitly says, Claire, make your own choices. I'll give you training. I'll, I'll help you find training so you don't have to use your powers, but you can still be a hero. So it's both directly quoting. And then Iris explains them again later. Like she repeats everything later. Yeah. And it's, it's explicitly contradictory while directly quoting. So it's, it's this <laughs> weird worst of both worlds that I just, I know Williamson has done good work, but this is, I don't think this is going to go down as, as one of his, his good moments. And it pains me to say this because he's such a friendly guy. I got him to sign one of my cereal box comics and he's just like, <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. He's a great guy, but this is not a comic I would want signed. It's, it's just middle of the road filler that just gives time. And I understand that's exactly what it was, but I feel like you could do middle of the road comic that actually 
does something. Like what you do though is you create a new villain and then defeat the villain. So like write a self-contained mm-hmm. problem that you solve by the end of the arc instead of just sort of churning water on an existing problem that you're not allowed to resolve. A cold case actually would have been very interesting. Exactly. That that's <laughs> illicit exciting. Together. Yeah. Yeah, and the other the other problem that I I think that this all was was not only it, it feels as if Gotham Girls included in this story because they were like, well, we needed to tie into what Tom King's been doing, but he can't go all the way of like answering the questions that a lot of people have asked or really like progressing that character in any way. Like all we did was just set the character back to the square it was right before issue 50. So what was the point of even doing this? Like we could have, if we didn't have this story happen and she wasn't sitting next to Bane, it would be the same spot. Like you said earlier. So, I mean, like, ah, man. Yeah. And the placement of the story is also really weird. Like, why is it in the middle of nightmares? Like, did he get up and he feels better for a little bit? No, no, no. Remember that this (laughs) place during Heroes in Crisis. Oh, okay. Which we don't know exactly when that is. It happens before nightmares. So explicitly, Tom King said it's like between 56 and 57. So after. That's when he said it's supposed to happen. But at the same time, this didn't release it. Published then because. Of yeah. Tom King's personal schedule with other projects going on, he needed this specific time last October off, which is when these, these issues were being written. So, well, specifically, he was writing a television pilot, and we don't know what because television pilots don't get picked up or announced unless they're big properties already. So, maybe we'll see Tom King television writer come in September, but until then, we probably won't know what exactly he did. Okay, so to be clear, we're going to do two things here. We don't typically do this, but we're going to give a rating to the Batman issue by itself first. Let's just talk about the single Batman issue. I'm going to give this issue a total of two out of five. Uh, 1.5. I didn't even really like the art. (laughs) I I actually like the art. As I've been saying, I... I like Guillaume Marsh, but for a while he hasn't worked for me, especially in his Catwoman stuff, just because I hated the way that was being written. But I don't think mm-hmm. he did as good a job either. But this has been his my favorite Guillaume Marsh for a while. So I, I'm going to give this a three out of five for the Batman issue just because I thought it was like really sort of rich and suspenseful and sort of creepy art. And I liked that, even though the story itself wasn't great. All right, so that's going to give Batman a total of two out of five Batarangs. Now, I want to the, – the thing we typically don't do is we typically don't review the entire art arc, but we're going to because I think it's relevant and, and uh, important this time around because this is the second time we've had a crossover with not just well, – well, it's the second time we've had a crossover with Batman and Flash, and it just kind of fell flat. So – I'm going to give the entire crossover a total of one and a half out of five. I'll swap and do two for the entire thing. I'm also going to give it two. It wasn't the worst thing I've read, certainly. I mean, I I think I probably enjoyed it more than Night of the Monster Men, but it's just so pointless. At least that had Steph in it, right? Yeah, but Steph was really out of character in Night of the Mountain. <laughs> she, was, she was like spouting all these random technical details. I was just like, what is this computer person? All right, so that means the entire crossover gets a total of two out of five. So if anybody at DC is listening, stop doing these crossovers. Really, stop doing really just do it. Stop doing it. 
All right. Or at least do them better. Yeah. All right. So that being said, let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 999, written by Pierre Tomasi, art by Doug Mankey. The issue starts off with Bruce looking at the boy in the chair and does not believe what he sees. The boy confirms what he fears. This boy is Bruce as a child. Bruce asks if he was the one who set this all in motion. The kid says it took some time to set it all in motion. Uh, He created the monster to push Bruce. He needed to create something that would push him to his limit. The kid says that it was not hard to use the DNA from all his villains and gene splice something which would really push Bruce to his edge. Bruce asks if Alfred, Leslie Ducard, and the the students from the uh, from the temple are all still alive and unharmed. The kid confirms that they are all still okay. Bruce is confused since this kid and everything he has gone through recently has tried to kill him. He is there to push Bruce and make him the best Batman possible. The kid reminds Bruce that he initiated this this simulation. Each year, Bruce has created a simulation so good, even he forgets it is a simulation. Throughout this conversation, the kid has punched Bruce, and with Bruce refusing to counter because he would never hit a kid. The boy tells Bruce it is his job to remind Bruce that this is not real by any means necessary. However, with each punch thrown, the kid ages up just a little bit at a time. The kid tells Bruce that they are one and the same. Bruce has had sent him to give him some perspective and illumination. He is here to wake Bruce up. Bruce asks if this is all Scarecrow's doings, but this Bruce is now the, the, the child is now, of course, the same age as Bruce and says this is all Bruce is doing. He created all of this to leap into the abyss. Uh, the other Bruce Wayne states that they learned the hard way. The good old days were not that good. Things were not so good before they declared their war and almost died on almost died in their first year of battle on crime. They can still see the pimp uh, lunging forward to attack him on the street. They remembered the sound of his boot uh, that made on the pimp's cheekbone. They were growing overconfident. And then the young girl put a knife in his thigh. A 38 special was used in this bullet perforated his lung with the, with the copper taste in his mouth. He feared his mission was done before it even started. They remember the police car and how someone pulled those cops out of the burning car. They do not remember walking into his father's study. They do not remember his father's statue staring at them while they bled out with the bronze bell being his last hope. He sits impatiently while waiting on Alfred. All all seems when all seems lost, they get lucky when a lost bat broke through the window into the study. The other Bruce, now a child again, grabs Bruce's hand and they both walk to his parents' grave. However, there are three graves with one empty. The kid says that there were three people who died in that alley, but one of those three were reborn, baptized in his own blood. These graves are not not here to feed revenge, but justice. These graves represent the living and breathing citizens that he saves. Everything has a price, and that price is Bruce. Bruce tells the boy he wishes he could just have been a kid for a little longer boy tells him that is fine. Other children have gotten to be children longer due to Bruce's sacrifice. The kid tells Bruce to never question the mission. He tells Bruce that Gotham needs him. Suspended in a tank inside of the Batcave, Bruce screams, Gotham needs me. Alfred tries to, to get him to calm down as the water is draining. Impatiently, Bruce punches the glass and he breaks out of the tank. Damien and Alfred comment that there are better ways to celebrate your birthday, like baking a cake. Damien asks what was the point of the simulation, and Bruce tells him what tells him it was meant to kill him. 
He does this every single year to test himself. Either people must evolve or die. Bruce must take time to train or he will be killed out in the field. These simulations test and hone his skills. Bruce fears one of these nights he will need to be stronger, faster, smarter, or he will not be good enough. Bruce tells Damien wearing the cowl has a cost, but this cost would have been heavier if he has not worn the cowl. Each year, the number of murders in Gotham have decreased since he started being Batman. One of these years, there will be zero murders. Finally, in the epilogue, Bruce comes by the Park Row Community Clinic and asks Leslie if she would like to go out to eat. She asks what's this all about, and Bruce tells her it's just been a long time since they spent some quality time together. She means so much to him, and tonight is as good of a night as any to spend time with the people he loves. Leslie agrees, and they both get in the both get into Bruce's car with Alfred as the driver. The group debates on where they should go out to dinner. All right, so Detective Comics number ninety nine. So first off, I have to say, uh, Steph was right. Woo-hoo! She said that it was a simulation in the last episode. I was thinking it was some sort of dream sequence or something like that, but she nailed it with the simulation. Um, I guess it uh, – so here's the thing. I'm not, I, I don't have necessarily a problem with it being a simulation. Stuff did get very weird very quick <laughs> in the last couple issues. And because it was getting so weird, it, it – you know, obviously, like I said, I thought maybe it was a dream sequence or he was affected by maybe Scarecrow's fear gas or something like that. Something was obviously going on based off of what we were seeing in the issue. The fact – that it's a simulation, and he does this to himself. Um, kind of, kind of a little extreme, but his reasoning is pretty sound, at least by by my standards. Because the idea of this is a way for him to like train himself to be better, and he feels the necessity to keep himself as you know to the the point that he is the best trained that he can be, and this is what he thinks he's going to do. If it works, then it works. As soon as it doesn't work and the murders rise, then obviously this simulation thing is not really doing what he's intending for it to do. That being said, um, this was interesting. Ultimately, kind of slightly unnecessary as far as an arc goes, and it definitely didn't set up anything. I think we all assumed that this was leading to you know, the Arkham Knight. And in, in some ways, obviously it still is because Arkham Knight's going to pop up in the next issue at the end of March. But that being said, it, it does feel like this entire arc was slightly pointless because we had all this stuff that we thought, Oh my God, Ducard's dead. Leslie Tompkins is dead. Uh, we, we've got all this other, all these other characters popping up and they're, you know, stuff is horrible stuff is happening to these other characters. Alfred gets shot. This stuff is like, this is nuts. And then it just, none of it's actually, none of it actually happened. So we've seen things like this in comics in the past where an entire series of events is not actually happening. That being said, I'm still okay with it. And I don't know why I'm not, I don't want to sit here and say it's just because I am completely okay with it being a simulation because some of this some of how we got to the ultimate reveal that it was a simulation was kind of uh, a little weird. And the fact that the pacing, I mean, the biggest issue with this story arc for me was just the pacing. Um, Some of these, because we had like two characters or two people in Bruce's lives featured in, 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 in the same issue, that was part of the problem. But 
I mean, like ultimately a lot of the stuff that we had issues with, you can kind of just say, well, it didn't happen because it didn't happen and it's not that big of a deal anymore. So that in that regards, I don't, I guess I'm not going to sit here and complain too much about it. Um, what did you guys think of the end all it's a simulation and everything that we potentially had an issue with is suddenly no longer an issue. Well, there's almost no point in complaining about all the, I don't know, laziness. I don't know whatever is wrong with, with this trope. There's really no point in complaining about it because this is the route they chose. Okay. All right. We'll go with that. Um, it does seem like a thing Batman might do, you know, do something to hone his senses. I mean, I'm sure there's been stories like this before where he's just doing something to keep himself sharp. That's that's fine. This is over the top. I, I kind of like how everyone kind of teases him a little bit about how intense he is. Like, you could have just made a cake. <laughs> like, you really didn't have to do all this. Um, and everyone's just kind of almost brushing off Batman's intensity about training himself, but also, in a way, respecting it. And yeah, yeah, okay. No, you're doing good. You're doing good. You're doing better than last year. Less people died. You're doing great. <laughs> um, and definitely, you know, it explained how everything was so really weird and how they got all those sharks into the middle of the desert, which still bothers me. Um, but I do want... I'm just sorry they didn't use the bat shark report. <laughs> well, it was a simulation. He didn't give it to himself in the simulation, right? Um, I just wonder, like, how long did this take? Like, how long did it take to set up? And how long was he in the tank? And, like, shouldn't he have been out saving Gothamites instead of doing this? If that's his intense feelings? I don't know. I just thought that him doing it in and of itself was a bit of a waste of time. And, and what did he learn? Like... I don't, I don't know if his detecting skills got sharper. Maybe I don't know. Especially at the beginning, the beginning did seem like a detective comic thing, except for him exploding the t- the fish tank or whatever it was. But I don't know. I don't know what he actually learned from this, and if if it wasn't actually wasting time doing it, time he could have been saving Gothamites. I don't know. That was my big problem with it. So this is Steph referenced. There must have been other stories, and there are actually two significant stories. To come to mind for me. The first is Scott Snyder's Super Heavy, where Bruce has lost his memory because he died and was resurrected in a fake Lazarus pit in a battle with the Joker. And so he has no memories. And to become Batman again, he literally has to kill himself in his cloning machine to give himself the old memories of the download. And Jim Gordon talks about how Jim Gordon, who was Batman during the superhero storyline, he talks about how Batman cannot be as dedicated to the mission of saving other people without basically having no life of his own. And so it's metaphorical death. He doesn't have ongoing romantic relationships. He doesn't have really a hope for the future except for less crime, fewer murders. Um, and similarly, uh, Tom King in I Am Suicide talked about how Bruce died in the alley and he tried to kill himself as a child. And instead of killing himself, he decided to kill his future by becoming Batman. Um, and I think that this is going for the same thing. I mean, you have Bruce standing at his own yeah. grave and sort of like mm-hmm. burying himself. And there's this idea that he can't 
move on because if he moves on, he won't be Batman anymore. Tony did a really great job in reviewing this, and he he says that he disagrees with this idea. He doesn't have to re-traumatize himself to keep being Batman. Part of the problem with any Batman story is, as I've said before, there is no end to a Batman story because if a Batman story really ended, either Batman would be dead or he'd stop being Batman because he's accomplished a goal. Um, but DC wants to keep publishing Batman for another 80 years. <laughs> Understandably, he sells a lot of comics and toys and movies and more toys. Did I mention toys? <laughs> um, and so they're not going to stop. a bat. They're not going to be done with Batman. We're never going to get the true final Batman story because we've had tons of final Batman story. We've got the Dark Knight Returns. We're going to have Last Night on Earth. We've got an Endgame. We're, I mean, Tom King's going to kill Batman. We've got Nightfall. There's so many Batman stories that give us an idea. Oh, and R.I.P., of course, Grant Morrison. We've gotten so many Batman dies. Batman is done. But it never ends because they're going to keep publishing it. And so writers, being curious and uh, interesting people, like to try and figure out, well, what's the reason for this? And since Grant Morrison, the answer to what's the reason for this has been because Batman isn't really living a life. He is trapped in a cycle of trauma. And um, I think that makes a certain amount of psychological sense. I don't think it's necessarily something we need so often, but I think that we have to remember this is the lead up to 1000, um, which is sort of a, a encapsulation of everything Batman wants to be. And so in this issue, we get a greatest hits of what makes Batman Batman with all his training. And we also get this philosophical statement of who Batman is and why he has to keep being Batman. Um, and I think um, it's very well done. And I, I want to give Tomasi credit because everyone knows I, I have a bias against Tomasi, but I think he did a really good job here in this conclusion. Um and I think it's it's a thoughtful conclusion. I think it's very interesting. It pokes at issues that should be poked at sometimes. Um, and it's very appropriate to do that in the context of an anniversary like Detective Comics 1000. Um, I also, of course, am really happy that Henry Descartes and um, Leslie Tompkins, of course, especially, aren't dead. That That's a huge relief to me, and it takes away a lot of my negative feelings. Because I do agree with Tony's review of Leslie's death. It was a beautifully written death. And now that I know she's not really dead, I can enjoy the the skill that went into that without being frustrated that they took away a character that I would like to see going forward. Yeah, I will say that as not so bizarre as this entire arc has been, and even half the issue... It does wrap up very nicely, and there is nice introspection and something I would have liked to have seen in The Price, but we didn't. Agreed. I also want to plug Donovan's really excellent essay uh, about uh, death in superhero comics and Batman particularly. I think he dealt with a lot of the issues that this kind of arc can raise, and it's it's really good read. Definitely check it out. Agreed. Definitely check it out. I was going to mention that later on. But the other thing I want to talk about is it was brought to my attention, though I have not been able to confirm this, it was brought to my attention that Doug Mankey, this is the very first, and, and when I say this stat, you're, some of the people are going to be like, seriously? Because that's what I thought. But on an episode of DC Daily, after uh, issue 999 came out, DC Daily made a comment that said they wanted to congratulate Doug Mankey for being the very first artist 
as since DC Rebirth kicked off uh, just under uh, three years ago, that the very first artist that did six consecutive issues that were on a double shipping schedule. When he when when they mentioned this on DC Daily, I thought to myself, seriously, no artist has ever been on a book for at least six issues straight. And then I I was thinking like, well, let's think of some of like the bigger storylines, like for example, War of Jokes and Riddles. Well, no, because there was those those two Kite Man issues that were in the middle of War War of for Jokes and Riddles. A lot of the other stories weren't necessarily six issues long. But I did find it to be a very strange stab. I cannot say that I have completely confirmed it. And I will also state that despite the fact that DC Daily is at least somehow connected to DC Comics because it is produced by people at Warner Brothers who happen to also be in line with DC Comics, they have reported things wrong in the past. So I just want to be sure to say that sometimes fact-checking things as as official as something from something like DC Daily still needs to be done too. So I can't say that it's for sure, for, uh, for sure because I was unable to verify it myself, but I did find that, that stat unusually alarming because there was a lot of double shipping books at the very beginning of Rebirth, and now there's not nearly as many, but six issues doesn't seem like that many, especially with some of these books and how, how far in advance they are working, so... Well, okay, so the only instance similar to this that I can think of is Alvaro Martinez on Detective Comics with James Tynan. He did a whole arc, uh, the Azrael arc, during that run, and that was only five issues. Um, None of the other detective issues were uh, one artist. Um, Tom King, in his first three arcs, I am Gotham, I am Suicide, and I am Bane. Those all had the same artist, but again, it was five issues each. Um, The upcoming Justice League arc is six issues, and all of them are supposed to be done by Jorge Jimenez. However, there is going to be a Legion of Doom inserted in there, so I don't think that's going to count even though all six issues of that are supposed to be by Jimenez, they're they're giving him a little buffer with the the typical James Tynan sort of interlude for the Legion of Doom. I haven't been following most of the other double ships as closely, but I I do remember when I poke my head into them, I do see a lot of fill-in artists or a lot of rotating artists. I mean, obviously Wonder Woman for the first 25 issues was every other issue was a different artist. Um, so yeah, I, I believe this stat. Um, I, I mean, if you think about it, six issues is six months of work in general. That's half a year. And compressing six months of work into three months, or at least a three-month release schedule, is ridiculous. Um, So Scott Snyder, in his YouTube channel, which I I recommend, has got a lot of craft insights. Um, He just said that he finished his script for – his whole scripts for the Justice League thing that Jorge Jimenez is doing um, in August and September of last year. Um, And the first issue of that is releasing now in – March. So that's about six months of lead time. So this is what you expect of something like this. So I'm guessing the reason Tomasi and Mankey did what they did and they didn't take 
you know, those extra three issues shorten James Robinson's filler arc by three issues and give more time is because they really wanted to see if Mankey could do a whole six month run released in three months. Um, although I would point out that this issue, this final issue has something like four inkers, which indicates they were really rushing to get it done. Um, so even with the lead time, it, it is brutal on the artists. And, and, and to be clear, what's interesting also about this situation is the fact that um, after Detective Comics number 1000, which has which Mankey will also be doing some art for that, but he's only doing a short story just like any artist that's attached to it. But after that, Brad Walker's coming on Detective Comics – and as of now, he's he is scheduled for four issues at least because we've gotten the solicitations for April and May, and he's he's solicited for all of them. So it'll be interesting to see if he also does a six issue story arc or if they bring somebody else on in June. Um, he also was working on it well in advance as well because when they officially announced that he was coming on the book for April or for the solicitations for April, which they announced obviously in uh, the middle of January, he had made a comment on Twitter about how he had been working on the Batman and the detective comic stuff for quite some time. And he was just glad he finally was able to talk about it publicly. So it's entirely possible that he also could be doing a six issue story arc as well, um, because that is definitely leeway. You st- even if he was starting, let's say, just in December, you got December, January, February, March. Um, that's four months before any of his issues actually even release. So you then you got April and May. That's six months right there. So it's entirely possible that he could be doing six six issues as well in the three-month time, time frame as well. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. That being said, the reason I, w- I wanted to point this out was because I have enjoyed the art. I think Mankey did a great job with the art. And despite having multiple inkers in this issue, and I think there was also an, a larger amount of inkers in the last issue, not as many as this one, but um, the last issue, I, I believe, had like two or three of them rather than, I believe, the first couple of issues he inked himself. No, that's never going to last. Yeah. So that being said, um, I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, despite the fact that multiple inkers had to be on the, this, this final issue for Doug Mankey, the art still turned out very well and props to him for being that first artist. If he is in fact, I mean, and, and it's entirely possible that he is because I don't, I don't know why they would have gone out of their way to make a comment on DC daily. If someone did in fact check that or have that, information you know knowingly so anyway that being said props to him for being able to do it obviously he's going to be doing some art next month in in 1000 so just wanted to make a point to say congrats on being able to do that and if the ultimate idea of the ultimate turn of the the few issues of this arc that seemed rushed as far as the pacing of the story, not necessarily the art, but the pacing of the story itself. If that was strictly because Tomasi wanted Mankey on all six, you know, on a consistent arc before 1000 
And that also explains why we had that random James Robinson five issue story arc. Then maybe that was the reason. And maybe the intent was it it was going to be longer. And then Tomasi was like, but I don't want to figure out a way to make it. I mean, to be honest, if, if Robinson didn't do his issues, we would went from six to 11 issues, which is it possible? There could have been two story arcs. Obviously. Yes. It's entirely possible. Why it turned out the way it did. I don't think anybody knows, but that being said, I'm not going to complain about how it ended up turning out because ultimately I think the issue was enjoyable and is, is the, the few issues that we had kind of get wiped under wiped away by the fact that it was a simulation. So, yeah. All right. So I'm going to give this issue a total of four out of five. I need to point something out real quick. Go ahead. Um, um, so, so, okay. So we've been sort of, Semi-defending, no, it's all one universe, but no, it's totally not one universe, um, Detective and Batman. And in this issue, kind of put a nail in the coffin because Batman, Tom King's Batman, doesn't remember year one. He remembers his Batman 1939 origin where he's on a boat meeting Catwoman. He doesn't remember being on the street. And this issue had a whole few panels of him wearing his year one outfit and remembering in great detail everything that happened on the street that night. So it can't possibly be the same Batman because they have different memories. Anyway. Well, I still, I still believe that Tom King's going to do something to reconcile the boat street thing. I think that I really think that's a plot point that's going to show up in issue a hundred. Like this is my conspiracy (laughs) theory that he's been playing this game. And on a hundred, he's like, and here's how it all fits together. That's fine, but but as it is now, this can't be the same guy. But anyway, that being said, 3.5 out of 5. I am going to also go for 3.5 out of 5. Uh, very enjoyable, um, solid conclusion, good honoring of the history leading up to 1,000. And they made fun of Batman at the end, which I enjoyed. And they had a Mazza Kelly residence. I love Mazza Kelly's art. He's so good. <laughs> all right, so... Uh, over on the site, Tony gave it four, so it's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move over to the site for Greater Gotham. Starting off on February 20th, main TV books. We already talked about Batman number 65. Nightwing number 57, Rick Grayson and Bay continue their relationship as the Joker's daughter decides to make a dramatic entrance into Bloodhaven politics. Issue by Dill, he gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Sorry, this was mm-hmm. Nightwing? Mm-hmm. Um, no, still thumbs down. (laughs) Catwoman number eight, Selena steals an object with curious properties and is promised that only trouble will come from it. This review by Jerry, he gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Mm, Thumbs down. Sorry, kitty. Yeah, thumbs down because it, after the last issue, it's like, Penguin's here and he's going to tell Catwoman something. And then he doesn't tell Catwoman something the whole issue. So that was frustrating (laughs) for me. 
No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Justice League number 18. Lex Luthor and Brainiac have a monologue off. So by Corbin, he gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Upstain. Thumbs down. Teen Titans number 27. Kid Flash has dinner at Roundhouse's place. Red Arrow and Crush seek to seek a way to deal with their anger. And Robin and Jin get to know each other better. This is by Dill. He gave it four and four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. No secondary DC Universe books. Moving over to February 27th. Main TBU books. Detective Comics we already talked about. Back on number 32. Cormorant tries to kill a mayoral candidate who has Jason Bard as her security chief. This is by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral trending thumb up. Secondary TBU books, Batman Beyond, number 29. After kidnapping Robin, Joker sets the stage for a showdown with Bruce in the Batcave. Even in his old age, Bruce is able to hold his own until Joker has an apparent heart attack. So by Bill, he gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Old Lady Harley, number five. Harley and the gang come face to face with the Joker, only to discover that this reincarnated Joker is not the original Mr. J. This is by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Four out of five. Oh, oh. neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Main DC, Universe, main DC Universe books, The Flash number 65, which we already talked about, but Ian gave it two and a half out of five. Um, Heroes in Crisis number six. An examination of the psyche of some of the patients at Sanctuary, as well as more information about the tra- tragic deaths, is told. This is by Dill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. And a question. Are we uh, supposed to know who Narc is? Gnark? Well, he was. I only know who he is because he was in Titans before Rebirth. Okay. Okay. I'm done. Uh, thumbs up. Yeah. He's good. Secondary DC Universe books, Action Comics number 1008, Leviathan continues to be a focus in the series. Justice League Odyssey number 6, Jean-Paul Valley as Adderall appears as part of the team in the series. Silencer number 14, Tyle Ghul and the Leviathan organization continue to be focused on. The Terrifics number 13, Bizarro Batman from Earth 29, Batman from Earth 12, and Batman from Earth 19 all make brief cameos in the issue. And then finally, TBU trades and hardcovers over the past two weeks include... Batgirl Year One Deluxe Edition Hardcover, Superman Batman Volume 7 Trade Paperback, The DC Universe by Len Wein Hardcover, Elseworlds Justice League Volume 3 Trade Paperback, Batman Shadow of the Bat Volume 4 Trade Paperback, Bombshells United Volume 3 Taps Trade Paperback. So it's everything that's released in the past two weeks. If we give you a thumbs up, thumbs down, we have detailed reviews and synopsis of all of those issues over on the site. That being said... Uh, before we move into our listener Q&As, I want to take a brief moment to thank our supporters on Patreon. Uh, thank you, Theodis, Robert, Donald, Stephanie, Brendan, Ian, Anthony, Arturo, Irwin, Captain America, Jay Dutton, Real No Deuces, and everybody at the lower tiers as well. We greatly appreciate your support. Just as a heads up, if uh, as I've said other in, in the past, and I just want to put it out there as a reminder, um, there, if you are unfamiliar with what you could be getting as far as what is available, if you are supporting, I just want to run down real quick what extras you will get. So if you like hearing me rant or talk about things in general, um, 
I have I've tried to do get a start getting some of the stuff like TBU Extra and TBU Raw, which are smaller, short, shorter podcasts, released a little bit more frequently. Um, and in some cases, it's just me talking by myself about things. But that is the the situation that I've, I've basically been in where I need to make sure that these, these get out a little bit quicker. Sometimes it's just easier for me to jump on and record something rather than trying to set it up with somebody else. That being said, that's not always going to be the case, but I will say that just in the past couple of weeks, I released an episode about a TB raw episode, which would be, which you would have access to at the $3 level, uh, which is, discussing all the film updates for the late, for the next Batman film. There was also another TB Raw discussing the DC film slate, um, the announcements that we've heard up to this point of what to expect, and some other theorizing of me from me as, as to what else we could hear about over the next couple of years. And I also launched a brand new series, which is part of the $10 level, uh, which will take the place of one of the T or at least one of the TBU extras every single month, which is called Fandom in Crisis. Now, I know that there are some of you who really enjoy hearing me rant, and there's some of you who absolutely despise hearing me rant because I, let's be honest, there's iTunes reviews saying both. Some of you hate it and some of you like it. So um, that being said, I know that the people who do like it will want to hear more of it. So I've decided that I started a new series on Patreon called fandom in crisis. And basically I will be talking about a variety of different topics about the fandom in general. The very first episode was problems with fan journalism and issues in general with uh, journalism and how things get reported and rumors get spread and things like that. I have lots of other ideas. This isn't going to be just about Batman either. Um, one of the ideas that we'll probably be releasing very soon here, probably within the next week, or even by the time you're listening to this, is the current controversy surrounding the Captain Marvel movie about how there are a number of people who are basically saying the movie sucks and the movie hasn't even been out yet, and how there's an entire fandom of people who are berating the movie because of what it is and the fact that it's a female lead and things like that. So we're going to tackle a lot of different things. Um, as a given situation, we could also, but like in the situation of Star Wars Last Jedi, how that movie got a lot of criticism and there was a lot of fan controversy around that. We would, we would have potentially talked about the Snyder cut of Justice League if we were doing this at the time. Like it's not necessarily specifically about Batman, but as issues within fandom as as a whole and these could be basically anything comics gate gamers gate all that stuff that's happened in the past relating to different groups of fans um that's what we will be discussing so it'll mostly be me i will be joined occasionally by other members of the tvu staff to talk about this stuff um because i think that it's worth talking about and quite honestly my wife can't stand me rattling off this stuff to her so i'll rattle it off to a microphone instead and hopefully you guys want to chip in 10 bucks to hear me talk about this stuff so that's what you can expect if you subscribe on uh, uh our patreon and you take a listen to these extra episodes the fandom in crisis episode it was an extra it, i didn't think it was going to run as long as it did but ended up being over 40 minutes long so <laughs> Trust me, if you if you like the rants, there, there's 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 extra content out there for you guys to enjoy. <laughs> so, 
support us if if you like. If you don't like my rants, then I mean you could still subscribe for some of the other stuff that's not me ranting. So, yeah. That being said, we that I, I greatly appreciate the support of all of our current patreons. Um, if you are so inclined to support us, or if you're so inclined, I guess to to know who is supporting TBU, uh, if you click on the show your support for TBU, we actually list all of our Patreon supporters on our website as a public thank you to all of our supporters. So. With that being said, uh, if you are unable to support us with any sort of monetary uh, donation every single month through Patreon or a one-time donation through through PayPal, we do offer uh, merch for sale and we do get proceeds from the, the merch sales. There's a link on the site for that. And also, if you have any special skills, web developing, graphic design, video editing, audio editing, uh, if you are interested in writing news, writing original content, reviewing comics, reviewing other media pieces from, you know, throughout the Batman universe, get in touch with me at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net, or you can reach out to me directly on our Discord, which I, I, I strongly encourage you to join because there's constantly conversations going on, but you can also directly talk with the three of us as well as other staff from the Batman universe and obviously hear from us a little bit more frequently because we're on there all the time compared to you only hearing us every two weeks here on the cast. So that all being said, we do have some listener questions and I want to get to them because some of them are really good and some of them are still good, just not as good as others, but I won't say which ones. So, Oh dear. That being said, the first comment comes from Scott via Twitter. He says, just listen to episode 277. Oh, he's from the future. I think he might have meant 267, which is what you said. I I, I greatly screwed that up. Really love Dustin's rant at the end there. I love talking and hearing about ever-evolving business models slash marketing, etc. So thank you very much, Scott. Uh, quick plug for Patreon. Want more rants? Subscribe to Patreon. Uh, no, but also I, that, I, I agree. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up the stuff in the beginning of this episode as well about the, the DC slashing their stuff and the Marvel stuff. Because I think it is interesting stuff to talk about. And we don't always have those kind of topics to discuss. But I think that when we do, they are interesting, even if it doesn't affect us completely and superly direct um, because obviously the Marvel stuff doesn't affect us, but the industry as a whole is, is an interesting thing. And that's part of the reason why we like sales numbers and we like talking about those. So yeah. Next comment comes from matches Malone via Twitter. He says question for the podcast, both Batman and detective are double shipping with variant covers for every issue. Now detective comics, 1000 is shaping up to have dozens of variants with hopefully something for everyone. Where do you all stand on variant covers for every issue? Seems a bit much. And what sort of cover art do you like in general? For example, story related word bubbles, etc. Maybe another Batman on a gargoyle in the rain. Okay, so first, I think this actually came from our Discord. I'm not sure why I wrote Twitter, but I think it came from Discord because... I think it did, too. I think it did. But, um, okay, so... Okay, here, here's my stance. Um, long-time listeners will know that I am a completionist, and I 
like to get all the covers. I had to stop doing that as about four years ago because I just couldn't afford it. It got to the point where there's just too many variants. Um, Wasn't it Dark Knight 3 that broke you because there was the thousand variant? No, it, Batman Incorporated was the, the first one that broke me. And and it's not that it broke me to the point where I stopped, but I kept trying to get the one in 100th uh, covers, and I could not, for the life of me, find them. They were just so difficult to find. And, when I would, and I, obviously, I could find them on eBay, but they were so freaking expensive. It was like, I can't do this. And like they just stayed on the list of stuff that I needed to get. And then, yes, DK3 was really the, the, the breaking point for everything because there were so many... So many covers, <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, but I can't Maybe do that. I, a whole book that's just covers for that book. <laughs> yeah, you could. I, I mean, the, the the biggest thing is like I had I had so many variants. Like I was getting every variant for all the Bat books during the New Fifty Two, and then but this was back when they just had like the variant cover months, the themed months. Like they had a Mag Magazine one, they had a Lego one. Those covers were cool. Darwin Cook one was yep. the best. They had they had a lot of really cool variant covers. Um, but ultimately, what it came down to was like I was spending and and to be clear, I've said this before. I would I only buy Batman specific books, like the Bat Family books. I don't buy those DC Universe books that we review on the site. I specifically stick to the Bat books and the Bat mini series and that stuff. But anything that's Bat Family, not the team books. I don't purchase the team books, but that, that the, the thing is that those, those still, I was spending like close to $150 a month on oh, variant good. covers and all of just the bad family books. It was just a ridiculous amount of stuff. And now even with, you know, starting at rebirth, all the issues were high. Well, they hypothetically stayed. Some of them stayed lower priced, for a little while at least. And then now everything's at least $4 an issue. And you're talking to get just the two covers every single month. You're talking about spending $8. It just gets too expensive. And like, to be honest, I'd, I'd rather be putting my money towards some other things that I would like to, to uh, collect. I have a massive Lego collection and I'd rather be spending my money on the Lego collection, even though it's the same thing as a variant cover. It stays perfectly sealed and never touched. So but that's me. Um, but I will say that how do I stand on variant covers for every issue? I am okay with it as long as they don't, as long as they are like a one for one type variant cover, meaning you go to the comic shop and you can get either the variant or you can get the normal cover, but it's the same price when it gets to the point where like there's the one in tens, the one in 25s, the one in 100 and the one in two fifties, in the case of some idiotic people's ideas, the one one thousand issues, those are horrible. I, I hate those. I think they're, they're just. A, a, a what are those? You've mentioned it a few times. I don't actually know what it is. So basically, what it is is a comic store has to order a certain number of comics in order to get that variant. So, for example, there was during the New Fifty Two, there was the normal variants, which were I think they were just like one in ten. So, in for every ten issues of. Batman that you ordered, you could get the you could get one of the variants, which meant you could order a variant. You're not you're paying the same amount of money, but mm-hmm. because you're you're putting in a minimum order, the comic shop could order that variant. And because it's 
one in 10, they can charge more money than the, the normal cover price. Hmm. The one in 25s was really the, I think that I, I have a couple of one in 50s, but those weren't very common. The 25 ones were, were pretty common, at least for the chains around where I, where I live. But the, the um, one in 25s, like you could expect to pay $12 for a, you know, a $3 mm-hmm. issue because of how much they would charge and it's mm-hmm. an incentive for the comic shop to order more comics, but the problem right. is they have to order a certain number of comics, and if they don't sell that, they have to try to figure out how to make up it some mm-hmm. other way. Plus, the entire intent is an incentive of being able to sell a lower-run uh, cover for a higher price, mm-hmm. and that money just comes straight from that that money that that overpriced nature of that comic comes or goes straight to the comic book shop, not DC. DC's not charging any extra for that issue. The comic shop's getting rewarded for ordering a certain number of comics. So now you see it happening all the time. And obviously next month with Detective Comics number 1000, or I should say later this month with Detective Comics number 1000, we're going to be seeing a ton of them because even some of the variant covers that we've seen be released, the they have variant covers which are like one in 250, one in 1000s. And because it's they're making sure that there's that many specific published and then in turn they can price their lower uh mm-hmm. their lower run issues way more expensive and it, it gets nuts but uh i'm fine with the one for once like now i'm pretty sure that the like the variant covers that they especially the ones now that they're showing off in previews ahead of time I'm pretty sure they're just one for one and you can get either one of them for the same price. It doesn't cost anything extra for the comic shop to order. It's not like they have to order a specific number in order to get that. They can either order one or the other. I think couldn't say for sure because I haven't bought it. That is correct. Yeah, it is correct that the current variant program is um, there is no uh, cap to how many you have to order to get the variants and, my comic book store and most of the other comic book stores just order a few, f- just a couple less of the, the variant cover uh, because people like the original cover, but it's, it is unless otherwise stated. So like for the year of the villain, they're doing like one in a hundred, one yeah. in 200, one in 300, one in a thousand. Cause these are 25 cent issues. So they're expecting to have a lot more people order them, but it's still ridiculous. Yeah. So that being said, I actually really like having two options because, um, like they, they've gotten some really good artists to do the variants. I mean, obviously, the big example is um, Art Germ for Supergirl um, and Catwoman. Like, Art Germ's covers are an incentive to buy the book, but I'd say there's a lot of other incentives. Like, uh, Francisco Matina, he's done a lot of really good variant covers for Batman and Joshua um, Middleton. Uh, which one? Oh, jo- oh, Josh Middleton on Batgirl is a phenomenon. Yeah. Like his Batgirl coverage for the last year have been just amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. And so like these variants have really been a place to just showcase some really cool art. Mark Brooks on Detective Comics has also done some really great stuff. I'm looking forward to like this two-page spread over like 103 and 104, uh, 1003 and 1004 as like this Bat Family spread. So... I am all in favor of giving some, some extra art a place to be, you know, as, and I agree completely with what Dustin said, as long as it's not like 
twisting a comic shop's arm into buying comics that they don't really want just to get the variants. I'm, I'm a bad Batman fan, and I just buy the traits. <laughs> so I end up with all the covers because they put all the covers in the that traits. Is, that is the way to go if you want to That's save right. money and get all the covers. That but is. when I do, do buy a special issue, like I went and I bought you know, Catwoman 1 and Batman 50, and I did kind of have just the dregs to pick from by the time I got there. But um, ugh, anything with outwear bubbles I'll, is fine. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's another good point. Like the variant covers are all about the art, so they don't have yes. those goofy texts. So it's like you'll yeah. never believe what happens in this comic. I'm like, yeah. just let me read the comic cover. Yeah, the focus is on those variants, is the art, and that's yeah. that's a huge plus. Which is what I was going to say next, because the other part of the question was, what kind do you like? Story related word bubbles, and I'll say this: uh, Batman on a gargoyle, I could do without. I'm honestly, <laughs> it's been so overdone. But the thing I cannot stand, which seems to be this like weird, ridiculous trend right now, is the word bubbles of the characters on the cover saying something so stupid. Hokey. Yeah, hokey, exactly. <laughs> like you'll never get away with this, you'll Joker. Never get away. <laughs> like it just it just doesn't come across as like I don't know. And 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 I and I say this because there is a specific PR person at DC and it won't be hard if you want to figure out who I'm talking about, but there's a PR, a publicist of DC who every single week has the hashtag DC dialogue cover. And he posts all the covers that have big word bubbles on the front of the character saying these hokey things. And I, I don't know. With if, pride or is he ashamed? I don't, of I don't know. Like, I think he, I think he likes it, but I don't understand why. And to me, it just, it doesn't make any sense. In some cases it distracts from whatever the, like some of the covers, some of the normal covers, they have really good covers, but then somehow the, the word bubble ends up making it look bad because it's just like, why is that there? Why? And and I say this because like in a normal week, there's about like 10 to 15 comics that released in every single week. And I'm not joking. If you count the number of covers that have these, just the normal covers that have the word bubbles on it. It's like half of them. It's ridiculous. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about like, obviously like teen Titans go or the Scooby-Doo issues, those having word bubbles, whatever they're, they're, they're children's titles. So it doesn't make that big of a difference. But when you have like red hood being tied mm-hmm. up in it, or you, well, the most recent one was, was Nightwing. Um, you, you've got Nightwing sitting there with Joker's daughter, and Nightwing is tied up to a chair, but for some idiotic reason, Joker's daughter is sitting there. Uh, well, they didn't actually have the word bubble in this one. I, I don't know what I'm thinking. It's just, it's it's annoying. That or, one it looks like it should have the word bubble. Yeah, it does because of how hokey <laughs> it is. Or like, for example, Batman 65. You've got Flash and Batman presumably fighting each other and Flash in a word bubble saying, no more lies. Oh, I know. That was so weird. Like, what? What, what, is, what? what does that have to do with anything with it? And the thing is, I'm not saying that every single issue has to have – not not every single normal cover needs to have a, a – uh, you know, like a, a, a direct reference to the story that's happening in the issue. I mean, is it nice? Yes. It would be nice if they feature something that's actually in the issue or at least showcase it in some way. But to be fair, I've seen so many covers over the past – 10 years, uh, you know, 10 plus years of 
you know, us doing TBU of covers like blatantly lying about something that's in the issue that that annoys me more than anything else. So, all right. So then our final comment comes from ACN via discord. And he says, what's the flagship Batman title, Batman or detective Batman only because it sells more has the title of flagship changed throughout the years between the titles. Another question, why are so many retread stories wise, but so few new good villains? Batman Beyond is a great example, rehashing both Killing Joke and Death in the Family. But how long since a great new villain was introduced? Was it Bane? So, uh, first question, as far as flagship title, as far as DC's concerned, I'd say that they think it's Batman. Um, and I feel like it's been treated that way for... A really long time. Um, and it probably goes back to. <sighs> oof, uh, I'd probably say it goes all the way back to at least Hush. Because I think in the 90s, a lot of the, the events and stuff was happening equally in Batman and Detective Comics. And in some cases, even the other peripheral Batman titles like Shadow of the Bat and Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, so I think that. Batman and Detective were probably on the same page. Batman, as far as DC is concerned, is probably considered the flagship of the two. But it's because the name Batman is in the title, and that by itself sells more issues than Detective Comics. When you look at the history of at least the ten, last 10 years, Grant Morrison was on Batman. Meanwhile, over in Detective Comics, they were telling some interesting stories at the time Grant Morrison was on Batman, Paul Dini was on Detective, and Detective was selling well, but it still just doesn't sell as well as Batman. You look at the New 52, and clearly the focus was on Batman because Scott Snyder was on Batman for an extended amount of time while Detective just jumped around and changed and did not consistently stay with the same writer for a very long period of time. Um, and then you look at the New, or you look at Rebirth, and Although Tynion was on Detective Comics for a, a really long time, you still look at what Tom King's doing, and he's clearly, you know, he went on the title saying he was going to stand for 100 issues. And while Tynion had intentions of staying on longer than he did, because initially he said he had plans to go all the way to 1,000, it still wouldn't have been nearly as long. So I think ultimately Batman is treated as the flagship. Should it be that way? That's debatable. I. I mean, Detective Comics was the original Batman series, so I feel like that should be the flagship. But I completely understand that just by name recognition alone, the other series is going to sell more. So, well, and DC doesn't treat Detective like the um, the flagship. They constantly rotate creative teams, as you said, but they also rotate main characters. So, like during Batman Reborn, uh, Batwoman was the main character. Um, during Rebirth, Bat. Detective Comics was the team book. Like it was still a Batman book, but it was very much focused on just developing all these characters in the team. Um, and so I think that there's, there's a real sense that the Batman solo title is where DC sets the status quo. And there's always exceptions to this. Like during zero year, I would say that Batman eternal actually drove the status quo. And, um, there have been times before that when Grant Morrison was actually going from Batman to um, what I think Barry he did 
Batman and Robin next, and then he did Batman Incorporated. And so those were technically the flagship titles. And no one really remembers Tony Daniels' run on Batman. I do because I've read it, but it's not memorable. But everyone remembers Grant Morrison's huge bat story going from Batman to Batman and Robin with Dick Bats and Damien and then Batman Incorporated, where it's all the Batmans everywhere. And so that was sort of a rotation. But I think once you get to the new 52 and Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, 52 issues with, you know, a couple of fill-ins, it's, that sort of set the mold. And that was eight years ago at this point. Um, so there's a chance that Detective could take back the thing, depending on, you know, what writer it is. But I think if you look like Justice League under Scott Snyder is sort of rivaling um, Detective, it's not really rivaling Batman itself. So I don't know if there is a writer who by name alone could make another Batman title sell more. Ignorant question. What is a flagship? <laughs> well, they're just saying like, like, is it what's considered what's leading title. the story? Yeah, the top title. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, it's more than just leading It's the story that sets the status quo. So yeah, right. right now, Tom King's Batman is sort of setting the status quo for Batman. When people ask what's going on with Batman, they don't say, oh, he's in a simulator going through his trainers or, oh, he's in the Justice League in a full body cast. They say, oh, Batman <laughs> is dealing with Bane and Catwoman because yeah. Tom King is setting the status quo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the other question is, why are there so many retreads story-wise, but so many, so few new good villains? Well, um... That's because, I mean, that just comes down to creators not having super original ideas. And not to say that all of them don't have original ideas. There's plenty of original ideas. Scott Snyder proved that there's lots of ideas that could be there. As far as great new villains, I would say the Court of Owls was up there as far as, you know, a good set of villains that, that people really enjoyed that still carried through. Unfortunately, some of it was kind of left aside because as we've seen throughout the history of a lot of characters, unless you have a creator who's like super invested in making something really, really work and really, really stick, it doesn't. Um, well, and even then sometimes, like if you look at Bane, which is one of the big success films, Bane kind of got overused. I think Chuck Dixon yeah. Oh, yeah. tended to use him too much in the later 90s and sort of diluted how scary he was so that by the time you got to um, – no man's land. He wasn't nearly the big guy and he wasn't the big bad of, um, of the no man's land storyline. So yeah. even the good villains will get overused. Hush is a hush got overused way too quickly. Like they just did really dumb yeah. stories. And I think, after the first one. I think the reason that ends up happening is because, and this is a trend that I'm, you know, that we've talked about before, but when a character comes around that is that, that gets a lot of popularity very quickly, DC tries to like, not force down our throats, but force down our throats, you know, cash the, the in. Idea. yeah, yeah. Cash in on the idea that this character, you know, had, had some popularity. We've seen it with a number of characters over the past five years or eight years, you know, from the beginning of the new 52, the court of owls was something that Scott Snyder was doing. He told his story with the court of owls, but then for whatever reason, DC insisted that we get a Talon series and still focus on this Court of Owls, even though Snyder kind of wrapped up his story dealing with the Court of Owls. So, I mean, like, it's one of those things where Snyder has come up with some really good original ideas, and I feel like he completes his idea 
he's done with the idea, but for some reason there are certain things that like feel like they, they linger on longer than they should have. Um, if you know, like, did we need to get a talent, uh, series, a talent ongoing series? No, we definitely did not. Did Lincoln uh, Marsh need to keep coming back and doing stupid stuff? No, no, he did not. He didn't. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, it's one of those things where, and, and honestly, you could say the same thing about Harper Rowe. I mean, did that, I mean, and, I, and obviously Snyder had a different plan for that character, just like he had a different plan for Duke Thomas. Like he had a specific plan for these characters, but it's one of those things where it's like borderline. Some of the characters that have been created, and obviously this isn't villains like the question that was posed to us asks, but the idea that a creator has an idea for a character is if they don't have like a full fledged idea of like developing the character, making the character, you know, well liked or at least popular enough for people to appreciate long term, and then coming back to the character multiple times throughout their their run then what's really the point? What I mean, in a lot of cases, like we were just talking about Gotham Girl earlier, a lot of cases, these characters feel like they're around. They The creators have them for a specific purpose, but then when they're done with that purpose, they just leave them by the wayside. And and, and that's that's happened with, that happened with Harper Row. I mean, to be completely fair, and I know I've complained about Harper Row a, a ton, but I want to. I, I just keep going back to this because it's the same thing. Like Harper Row, and I've said in the past that she was shoved down her throats, and she wasn't until, in my opinion, um, uh, Eternal came around. But the thing is, like, she was introduced. She, you know, we didn't see her for a while. She came back. It was kind of like, well, here's this character. We're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it. And Duke Thomas was the same way. He was present for a specific story but then somehow he just kind of like stuck around and it was like well we could do this but the idea of can we make this character a sidekick full time sure but the person who created the character in the first place isn't the one to pick it up and to carry that you know carry the ball down the court in order to make that happen so that character ends up falling apart and not being really used and obviously Duke Thomas could end up being used more or better during Batman and the Outsiders, and it's just, it feels like it's been forever because it has that Duke Thomas has really appeared because outside of Brian Hill's detective comic story appearing shortly there and outside of the Batman signal story that let's be honest, was a long time ago, as far as how long it's been since we've seen these characters, six months spaced out between some of these characters, but then still trying to make us believe that these characters are relevant and important to the universe. Yet nobody who's on one of the main books is touching them. That's a problem. And that's the the biggest thing. So when you look at villains that have been introduced, there's been other ones like professor pig, Grant Morrison created a while back. That character has popped up in plenty of different, you know, stories since he, you know, Grant Morrison had that character show up in his run We've had him also obviously pop up in a cartoon since then. We've had him pop up in Gotham, the television series. So, I mean, like there's other Corvallis popped up in Gotham. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of characters that have popped up, but it's, it's more of like a, do they, can, can they, can they continue to exist? And when you look at certain things, you can tell flat out whether or not it's going to be successful or not. And I'll be honest, Scott Snyder, I think did a lot of, really interesting things with the Batman comics, but ultimately I don't know that his legacy on the Batman comics is anything outside of court of owls. 
And that's not to say anything against him or what he's done, but like I think that's probably what he's going to be best known for is that Court of Owls storyline and maybe some of the Joker stuff. But I feel like a lot of that Joker stuff that he introduced is kind of ignored now. So really the Court of Owls is going to be his lasting thing. Like in some cases, Chuck Dixon's probably best known for Bane. So Yeah, and it's not bad to be known for creating a really great storyline and then doing just regular storylines. I mean, how many Batman writers... What did Doug Mankey... Uh, not Doug Mankey, Doug Munch. Like, what's his thing? What? I mean, even a great writer like... Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Greg Rucka and the other guy who wrote Batman at the same time, Ed Brubaker. Like, what is their legacy? It's sort of Bruce Wayne murderer, but that I love that story, but very few people love it as much as I do. So, like, a lot of great writers don't have a legacy on Batman like Court of Owls or Bane. So the fact that Scott Snyder has that legacy is good. And I don't even know what Tom King's legacy is going to be because, like, you could say 100 issues, but, like, so what? He hasn't really created a character that's going to have a lasting impact. Uh, Maybe it'll be Catwoman and Batman, but, I mean, Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb have already done a great Batman-Catwoman legacy story in Hush. and. Mm -hmm. So it's rough. I mean, because you're writing, in Tom King's case, uh, twice a month. Like You're writing so quickly that you got to just come up with the, as good a story as you can every two weeks and push them out. And if you're a good enough writer, you can tell a bigger story. But it's it's a mass media monthly or bi-monthly story. There's not a lot of stuff. I mean, and, the, and when he's asking about like retreading stories, like your your options are creating something that no one's going to care about, creating something one of a kind once every you know five ten years that's going to make an impact in everyone's life, and you just never know who what that's going to be. Um, I've been doing the numbers the numbers lately, um, and you know I've actually went back a few months and and. A lot of like mini series and maxi series is just instantly decline in readership. And then you've got White Knight, which not only stayed steady, but actually increased in readership as it went. And that was like looking at all the other mini series that are out there, that's like unheard of almost. <clears throat> so to, to catch on to something that is brand new and amazing and everyone likes and will spend money on, that's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare. And, um, so then, you know, the other option is, well, let's do something safe and do something very similar that someone else has done and just do that again because we know that worked the first time. So that's why you've got Batman Beyond right now doing some really weird stuff. <laughs> um, re- trying to not necessarily retread and retell those those storylines, the death in the family and um, um, death of the family, whatever. But um, – you know, it's using imagery and and tugging at the heartstrings of of people who remember those stories or whatever. So it's I don't know if it's necessarily a confidence thing, but just not not every story can be Court of Owls. Not every story can be, you know, Hush. It's you're gonna run out of the big ones every once in a while, or all, most of the time. <laughs> and most, of, yeah, I mean, like I I think that as long as you make people. Have a good time with your issue. That's that's what you should strive for at the least. And one of the reasons we were so frustrated with the price is that we didn't have as good a time with those 
um, just because of a pure craft level. I don't think that they were as well written as what Tom King's doing. Like, I am really excited to get back to Tom King's dream sequence. And I never thought I'd say that because I don't normally like dream sequence and we have way too many of them right now. But Tom King's really delving into Batman's psyche and there's a lot of emotions going on. And so I'm excited to see that. Um, and as dream sequences, these probably aren't going to have a huge impact on what's going on going forward, but I have a good time reading those every two weeks. So I think that's what you should strive for. And if you're able, just because you have like a, a flash of inspiration or whatever to get that really key creation that impacts the legacy of Batman going forward, then I think you're just, it's more luck than ability to get that. All right. So all that, that being said, uh, that is all of our questions. If you guys have questions that you'd like us to talk about in the next episode or comments that you'd like to share with us, you can obviously leave those comments on the website directly on the podcast post. You can post those on discord, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can get in touch with us. And as long as you tag us in, in the, the question or comment you'd like us to, to, to talk about, we will be sure to plug those in and use those and talk about them on the next episode. With that being said, I do want to encourage everybody to check out the website. Uh, we do have news po- posted related to movies, television, video games, comics, or merchandise, and of course the comics as well. Um, there's also original content. As you're listening to this, we're trying to have at least one original content per week. As Ian mentioned earlier, we do have uh, Donovan posted up a new article talking about death in Batman comics and what it actually means. Uh, there's a couple of other articles. Stella's got an article that's going to be that. Well, actually, as you're listening to this, will be out. It's the hero's journey of Batgirl. Um, so you can check out that. Um, we, we were working on trying to get more original content up on the site to kind of offset the, the fact that we don't have as many comics that we're reviewing. So a lot of our staff is working on ideas of new content and original content and things like that to publish. Also in the last couple of weeks, there was a article, a new article series that we're going to start, which is going to be different staff members talking about why we, you know, why we work at TBU and why we write about Batman. Um, and Tony posted the very first one. So you can take a look at that. That's over on the website as well. Um, outside of that, there's obviously new episodes of pretty much every podcast that we offer. Um, there's new episodes about books for beginners. The last episode that released focused on Batman hush money, which was a story from Batman streets of Gotham, as well as the faces of evil, uh, story or tie-ins from detective and Batman. There was also, there's also new episodes of, Everyone Loves Young Justice, Everyone Loves Drake, Back with the Oracle, Bat Fans, and there's our newest ep- our new sh- newest show, uh, Batman Books, The Dark Knight and Prose. There's new episodes for that show as well. So literally, there's all kinds of stuff. Gotham Chronicles also back because got the final season of Gotham is wrapping up. Tons of content. And then on top of that, obviously, if you are still looking for all, all kinds of new content after all of that stuff, we also have the Patreon cast as well. So... Um, outside of that, you can leave us reviews on iTunes, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos related to the Batman universe. And you can get in touch with us at TBU at the or you can leave comments. We always greatly appreciate that stuff. And, uh, as I've mentioned multiple times over this episode and other episodes, discord is where a vast majority of conversations are always taking place. If you are a longtime listener of the website, or a longtime listener of the podcast and, and 
from and you've been around for the website, you may remember that we used to have forums on the website years and years ago. We don't have forums anymore, but Discord is kind of like the new, more modern version of forums where there's constant conversations going on about all kinds of different things. And conveniently, there's an app that you can download for your, your cell phone or tablets that you can use those mobile devices to also, you, you know, chat with us and it doesn't necessarily have to be a computer at all. So you can also set it up so you can get notifications on certain threads and things like that you, that you're wanting to be notified about if people are talking about. So there's all kinds of different things you can do. It's, of course, it's self-contained and it's an app that we don't actually have any sort of control over the software, but we have control over the content and the topics and things like that that we can we, we discuss. So I encourage you to check that out. There's there's a good chunk of people over there all the time, uh, constantly chatting with people, including Ian, Steph, and myself. So I encourage you guys to check that out, as well as a vast majority of other staff from the Batman universe. So new review posts up. It will let you know immediately on the Discord. So if you aren't, if you don't have notifications set up on uh, Twitter for when we send out a tweet, which I mean, I, I don't expect you to, I don't even do that myself, but on discord, it will send out a, you know, it'll, it'll do a push notification saying that there's a new article on the site, whether it be for news or review or original content. So that's there as well. So it's a way to keep up to date with everything that's going on with TBU all the time. Um, I do want to point out that, uh, I, I am kind of running like an unofficial survey and I'd really like anybody who's listening to the podcast to kind of chime in and let us know this, this specific answer to this question. So if you could just take a quick moment to head over to the site, leave a comment. I'd really like to know where you guys are actually listening to this podcast. If you're using iTunes or if you're using Google play, if you're listening to where you're listening to the tablet, if you're, or the, the podcast, if you're listening to it on your computer or your phone or your tablet or another device. Um, we recently just made sure that all of the podcasts that are part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network are available on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, as well as the Blueberry uh, Library as well. So if I, I really am curious to know where people are listening to the podcast. Um, there's some other things that I'll talk about in the near future about other places you might be able to listen to your podcast um, that you may not even know. So that being said, I'd like to hear where you guys are actually listening to the podcast. So if you could take a quick moment, even if you just jump onto the discord and leave a comment saying, I listen to it on my phone using Spotify, or I listen on my phone using iTunes. I really am curious to know where people are listening to, because unfortunately everywhere, all, all of the statistics that we can get from where people are listening to it is individually from wherever the podcast feed is being pulled from. There's not like a specific direct place that we can get those stats from. So we know that there's a lot of people listening on iTunes because obviously we've been on iTunes the longest, but we are available on lots of other things. So all that being said, thank you for listening to the Batman vs. Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. This is Dustin. This is Steph. This is Ian. And like I said, we'll see you guys in two weeks.